Jason, did you bring a mic? Yeah, I got a mic right here. Did you bring your show notes? I got my notes. Okay. Did you bring the recording equipment? We got the recording equipment. Why are you asking me all these questions? I'm just doing due diligence, man. <laughs> before I enter into this <laughs> new adventure with you. Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons. Seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you will be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle-tested testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chips Seasons. Welcome to Making Chips. I'm Matthew Nix. I'm the guest host here. We're carrying on the conversation about acquisitions. I'm with the OGs, the Jason OGs. and Nick. Heck yeah. Hey, man. what's up, Metalworking Nation? And we've got Adam Schmidt here with us as well. He's the managing partner of ProFab Alliance. And we're keeping the conversation alive. Second episode about yeah. acquisitions. Yeah, yeah, and this is going to be the second of probably several more. But we started talking about due diligence. Adam said that he's got a lot to add to this. So we're looking forward to having an extended conversation about due diligence. So basically, you found your acquisition target. You both are committed. He's committed to selling. You're committed to buying. Yep. Now you're trying to arrive at the, how do we get this done? Yeah, what's next? Well, you guys did it at the beginning of the show, right? You made that list. We talked about it, yeah. There's a lot of things in yeah. due diligence that aren't financial and accounting. So we alluded to that in the last episode. Well, but you got to start so, there, right? So yeah. you have somebody that's in theory, they're like, I want to sell. And you're like, I want to buy. Isn't the first thing to figure out? Don't you start with the numbers? Maybe, maybe not. Because you can really exhaust a lot of time and energy on doing due okay. diligence. So at this point, we've already used probably internal financial statements, probably not audited financial statements, but we've agreed on a price at this point. So let's just assume the numbers are right. There's okay. a lot of things that can break a deal because now we got to send accountants in. They got to dissect, depending on how big the deal is, they got to dissect the numbers. They're going to spend a couple of days maybe combing through the books. This happens at night a lot of times because you can't be on site during the day. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you don't want the people to find so out. We're going to make the assumption that the whole negotiation on the price is yeah. already there. We're not yeah. going to cover that. You're agreed to. Yeah. yeah. Usually if you get to due diligence, the price has been agreed on. Bingo. And now okay. we're really trying to dial it in. So I'm not saying maybe you do or don't start with the financials. You can also do it simultaneously that, but that doesn't have to be the first thing. There's a lot of things that can kill a deal. So we'll let Adam speak to that. Yeah. Do you actually have a checklist, Adam? Like oh, how does absolutely. your process work? Okay. Yeah. We actually bought him a shirt that says freaking the sheets. Spreadsheets. <laughs> Spreadsheets. Yeah. He's a master of spreadsheets. I've got the hat and the matching mug. So yeah, absolutely. We've got a spreadsheet for it. It's color coded and everything. Stoplight system. And seems like every acquisition we add 10 or 15 more things. Oh, to you it. find other things. Oh, absolutely. Uh, okay. Because you don't want to get caught in the same trap yeah. multiple times, right? Okay. We've always learned and learned. Every time we grow. What are some simple things you've added to the list that people might not think of? IT systems. Okay. Yeah, right. So we acquired a structural fabrication shop and IT wasn't on there. Even simpler than that, I'm thinking one. Their internet wouldn't work. Oh, they were going on their lunch break and downloading blueprints because the internet wasn't fast enough. So is that like a red flag for you? It would have been if we would have thought. It's not a deal breaker. It's just got to be factored in. You paid like 30 grand to bring fiber optics in. That's six months. Okay. Because they got to dig the fiber in to get the reception. So, I mean, you've got to get that going. Let's call that IT infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. 
So that everything from do they have their high ERP speed internet, system? Yeah, so it's got a mirror. Now yeah. he's just testing their upload and download speed. I mean, simple practical things. It's just a checkbox that yeah. you have. I walk around with my phone and do a simple internet speed test. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's nothing high tech, but that's something that can really affect the success of an integration. So okay. all right. So let's go through like more of these items on the checklist, maybe focusing on the ones that aren't obvious. Yeah, so I mean, culture, right? We talked in the previous episode, we talked about putting a number to things that aren't as tangible. And that's what culture is, right? How do you measure culture? It's difficult. But things like, are the employees smoking in the shop? Do they have their shirts tucked in? What's their willingness to work overtime? You can look back at previous records to see that. What's their safety record? Your safety record. Do they have their safety glasses down? I mean, there's things like that. It's a checkbox. Yeah, there definitely is like a safety element to the culture. You can tell the shops that take it serious and the ones that don't. And there's a lot of manufacturers that they've got their stated core values and safety is like somehow incorporated into there. So you have to figure out at what level of safety does this abide by our own core values? Yeah. What part of their journey are they on? Because there's a lot of situations where you acquire a company and maybe from a safety standpoint, they're like, hey, this is how we built the company by being unsafe and we're not changing. And if that doesn't work for you, yeah. You better run. Yeah. I yeah. mean, one of the biggest cultural obstacles we had to overcome was uh, smoking in the shop. You already yeah. mentioned that. It sounds simple, but we don't allow smoking in the shop. But imagine guys that have been on the shop floor 20 years smoking in the shop and you come in and it's company policy that you don't. I mean, that's a pretty big obstacle to overcome. Yeah. yeah. There again, that might not be a deal breaker if you know it up front, but it's a hell of an obstacle to be prepared for. And instead of getting in there and getting surprised, losing four people because you draw a line in the sand. We yeah. dealt with an acquisition where I'm not going to mention which one it is, where we had a succession plan in place based on the people that were retiring, the owners and such, versus the next generation that was there. And we found out once we moved them onto our HR system that one of their employees was using a false social security number. I mean, we loved her and she was great. And we thought that she was going to be part of the future leadership of the company. And we later found out that it was an asset purchase. We couldn't hire her. We couldn't like hire that employee on. I don't know if I could have done better in due diligence, but it was definitely a shocker for us when we came to find out, great, now we have to replace this person because we can't even employ them. And I don't know how they did, but I mean, that's a factor, I would say probably even bigger in manufacturing than it is in my industry selling cutting tools. But you found that out after the fact, right? Yep. That's a difficulty of due diligence. You can't run an e-verify, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. To check their validity of their social security. But you security. can ask the question of, have yep. you verified your entire shop floor yep. to yep. make sure that everybody has clean documents? Yep. I imagine a lot of the items on the checklist came from lessons learned the hard way. Oh, yeah. Oh, that should have been on there. So what else is on the checklist that you could say? I know you probably don't want to give away all of your proprietary information, but (laughs) I mean, you said it's a long checklist, right? Oh, it's long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really small details, like a lot of the steps that we have to go through. One of my favorite ones that, you know, a lot of times when you're doing due diligence, the employees don't know, right? Of course. They don't know there's an acquisition going on or a potential. So you're going around doing a shop tour and you're the customer, right? Yep. You're playing that role. And my favorite one is when you walk down the shop, how many guys, how many employees come up to you and shake their hands or introduce you? You're looking at a machine or a process and they actually come to you. And And they want to explain what they're doing and and everything like that. Signals, they take pride in where they work. Sure. They want to engage with customers. And you've got your iPad or your clip note where your notepad where you're taking notes and everything. 
So yeah. all these details, they're all subjective details, but they get factored into an objective score on like yeah. culture, for example. Yeah, right. And a lot of it's just completion things. Did we verify that they have a website, right? Yeah. I mean, believe it or not, a lot of people don't. Or it's one that hasn't been it's updated broken since, or whatever, since yeah. the 80s. Or, you know, yeah, especially if they're a small shop and they've yeah. got their 10 customers that they deal with and they're not looking for more, they're not concerned about that. Yeah. You also... Nick, you're measuring it against what the seller told you. I think that's the biggest thing, Great right? Point. So if you find some of these things, but it's in alignment with what he's already described, maybe it's not a big deal, but yeah. you're building credibility and trust with what the seller told you were going to find. Is that what you're really finding? And I think that's probably the biggest thing in terms of what are you actually measuring it against? Yeah, I know another manufacturing leader who was really excited about this acquisition that he was making. And when it came down to it, at the very end, he was asking some questions and he found out that the owner was not completely honest with them. And the whole deal fell apart because of it. And I'm glad that this client of mine walked away from it. And I actually recommended that he did because I think that he would have found other skeletons in the closet if he had moved forward with that. Yep. And that company subsequently went out of business. Yep. We had one experience with that where I found out something pretty significant about this owner and seller late in the game. We ended up proceeding with the acquisition. And there is it something you can share? No, I, I won't. Share? But I'll just because it's personal for them. And I don't want to be fair to them. But I'll just say that that was difficult because he and I's relationship just never was the same after that. And yeah. that's difficult because usually when you acquire a company, the previous owner staying on for some period of time. Yeah. And often it's an extended period of time. And it's just really difficult to when you start from that place, when that foundation of trust is broken. It's just really hard to overcome that. And so I think your buddy did the right thing. I would be really cautious. Yeah. What an important factor in due diligence are you going to stay on as the leader or the owner? Like yeah, that's getting a really all that important question. Or are your main, are your key team members going to stay on? We dealt with a situation where we're at the very end of all the negotiations. We were like ready to close in a month. And then the owner of the company called me up right away. And he's like, hey, I got something I got to tell you about. He was like, my key guy just told me that he's retiring. And I was like, wow, that's big because we were planning on him being part of the succession of the owner. Yep. Now, number one and number two are both leaving. And so we had to really dig into this and say, what do we do now? And what we ended up figuring out is that we could keep number two on for like three or four months instead of just a month that he was planning on. And things ended up fine. But like I was able to get a lot of credibility of what he said because he called me immediately once he found out what was going on. He let me know immediately what was happening. He wasn't trying to hide it from me or anything, which he could have. You so know how long I mean? ago was this? Oh, very recent. Yeah. So like, are you even past that three? No, months? not yet. No. Yeah, so so you're not like quite in the. Uh -oh, no, we're what not. Do, we do now, but everything is going fine. Yeah. Like everybody knows now. Clients know. Vendors know. Good, the rest yeah. of the team knows. Everybody knows. And we have somebody that's being trained to put in this person's place. But at least it wasn't a shock for me because the owner, I had a good enough relationship with me and he's always been completely honest. And he let me know immediately yeah. when he found out. Yeah. And that goes back to what you said, Matthew, which having that credibility between the two owners is huge. Yep, absolutely. So what else do you look for in, in due diligence, Adam? So process is a big one. Okay. Everybody's got different ways of doing things and it's how can they marry together, right? It has to make sense. The relationship has to work and... A lot of times you can be so far apart, but once again, that it's not a deal breaker, but it just adds to the scope of work. How are we going to bridge this gap now and then marry them in the future, right? Yeah. So you say process. Like yeah, I, kind of things I mean, about. it can be as a project flow through your shop, 
Right. Like, do they have work standards? Yeah. 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 That's Is it yeah. like, are they ISO certified or something like that? Yeah. Job travelers aren't there. Accounting standards. When do they bill for a job? And it's probably yeah. very likely going to change. We'll do this episode in the future on integrations, but it's easier to adjust a process or a culture where there's already processes to a new process than it is to like, hey, we're going to start having some processes here where everything was just kind of the wing it method before. Yeah. I imagine that's yeah. quite a big challenge. Also, there's going to be a list of changes that you got to make when you go through due diligence, right? You've got your scope of work when you're going to integrate and you can't do everything at once. Right. The first and foremost, you got to keep the culture and everybody working and everybody happy. And if you just keep on piling thing after thing. So it may take a couple of years before you finally get that integration plan completed. That's okay. Right. You just got to prioritize and what's the most important thing that's going to move the business forward and choose those things. And that's where that list comes in handy. Or the biggest risks. Or the risks. Yeah. What do you got to mitigate? Yeah. We got to watch out for it. So we talked about, Jason mentioned the word asset purchase. And then in the acquisition, my family just completed. There was like, are we going to do it as a stock purchase or an asset purchase? And I really need to be educated on that. Like, what's the difference? Why would you choose one versus the other? So is that something like you can speak to? Are you familiar with like APA or an asset purchase agreement? Yeah, I've seen one. Okay, so it's like I don't like do this. As a business, you have assets and you have liabilities, right? So when you're doing an asset purchase agreement, you're only buying the assets. So you're not buying the stock so that if there's any hidden liabilities, maybe there's some kind of medical liability associated with safety that you don't want to be on the hook for. So you're only buying the assets of the company. That would be my summary. Do you have anything to add to that? You bought stock before, which we've never done. done Everything you said was correct. On the flip side of that, one of the advantages of doing a stock purchase, the, the disadvantages you mentioned is you've now opened yourself up to any liability because when you acquire the stock, you acquire all the history of the business assets and liabilities. But there can be some reasons to do that. Intellectual property rights, which you can acquire IP through as an asset of the business. But when you buy the stock, that's a lot more locked up. And then additionally, contracts with customers. So if you acquire the stock, the business just keeps right on rolling. And a customer, a big supplier, think of government contracts and things. The business just keeps right on rolling and the person holding the stock changed, but to the outside world, no one really knows anything different. So that's a reason why you might do that. And then sellers will often push for a stock purchase agreement because there's tax advantages to the seller of doing that. There's tax advantages to the buyer to do an asset purchase agreement. Okay, you get so a it's step like up in tax base. It's almost like uh, closing costs on a house. Like who's yeah, gonna who's yeah. gonna take it that? millions of dollars. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So like as an example, like Matthew said, when you have clients that are smaller, they could just very, you know, you have that personal relationship. They just jump into their computer system and they set up your new company as a new supplier, right? Now they've got dual suppliers in their system. They've got old company and new company. They just set you up and it's real easy. But if you're dealing with, say, like a large Fortune 100 company, getting set up in their system is a big, big deal. And so when you buy their stock, you don't have to worry about that because you bought everything. Otherwise, you need to get set up in their system because you've got new tax identification numbers and all that kind of stuff that they need to make sure is clean in their ERP system. And what if they're like, well, sorry, we can't do it. Yeah. They could have put a moratorium on new suppliers. So do you lean more toward one or the other? Then? Do it. I mean, it sounds we like lean toward asset. asset Even with the, one, the yeah. pros and cons we listed, yeah. And a good attorney is always going to push you that way. Yeah. A good tax accountant is going to push you that way. And there's workarounds to what Jason just mentioned. Like, even though we're doing an asset sale, and you're right, some new tax ID, you got to get reset up. What we'll do is work with the seller to leave their entity open for some period of yeah, time. We've done because the same. even when you get reset up in the system, accounting will still mess up and send the check to the wrong place. 
And so you can flow the money and do a workaround. Yeah, you got to do a true up there. True up. Yeah. 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 It could take a year before you have all your clients transitioned over to where they're actually sending the money to the right place. Gotcha. Adam, I saw in your notes, like you just wrote, keep digging. What yeah. do you mean? What are we digging for? I mean, you're always going to continue to find more and more things, right? Just ask, continue to ask questions. Don't ever take anything at the surface level. You know, like Matthew was saying, I mean, you don't want to take the owner's word for it, right? That's what due diligence is about, is finding out for yourself, yeah. right? You've got those perspectives from the buy-sell sites. We took that at face value, and that was it. I mean, they're designed to like yeah, to sell you polish business. it up, right? So, yeah. That's the owner's goal, right? They yeah, he wants to sell maximize the sell price. Yeah, yeah, sure. They're secondary. They want to make sure their employees have jobs and yeah. the longevity the and, and everything. Yeah. Yep. But ultimately, they're wanting to get the most value for their business. So, You've got to do your own due diligence and keep digging, right? Don't it reminds ever me of like a home inspection, yeah. right? Like a lot of times you're just so excited to buy the house. You kind of mail in the home inspection. You didn't really like look under the hood enough. No. Mm-hmm. You just keep peeling the layers of the onion back. Yeah. I assume you keep asking questions about the financials. You keep walking the shop and asking questions. You take the owner, maybe their spouse out. You try to ask them like, leading questions and maybe the spouse who's not involved in the business will have a drink and pipe up with something that you just didn't know anything yeah. about. Be yeah. like, oh, what about, yeah. you know, <laughs> that? <laughs> if you can get the liquid courage to take out key employees, yeah. if oh, the key do the same thing, give them a drink. I mean, yeah. like if you take them to the boring bar. Absolutely, never, right? You almost never get access to any Yeah, you almost never do. You have to ask. ask. Yeah, if you can, that's huge. But you can get access to the spouse. You can request and just say, hey, this is part of our vetting process that me and my wife want to take out you yeah. and your wife. Yeah, they, and, they appreciate that too. We try yeah. to do that. Yeah. I've got a new cocktail for the Boring Bar. It's called Truth Serum. There you and go. This is where you take them, you know, and it's got to be real strong. It's probably got to have like Malort in it for Jason. <laughs> but you give them that Truth Serum and then all of a sudden all the skeletons come out. So let's talk a little bit about real estate. Do you guys typically buy real estate along with your acquisitions and what kind of due diligence you have to do associated with the real estate. Yeah, whole nother set of due diligence around that. We do typically buy it. We have a real estate holding company, which I think is a very common strategy. Sure. The real estate holding company buys the real estate and leases it to the That's how we're set up. Sure. I think a lot of of businesses are. So you still got to do the due diligence. And obviously, environmental is important. That's huge. We borrowing money from the bank to buy the real estate. So the bank's going to drive a lot of that anyways. Environmental due diligence is huge in our industry. I will say, if you don't take any risk, you're never going to get a deal done. So we've had properties. It's not uncommon for properties. You get a phase one environmental to want to do a phase two. We've bought properties before and just said, you know, we're good. If they see a little oil on the ground, it's like, come on, man. I mean, there's oil everywhere in our business. Right. But if it's an old gas station, you might need to be a little bit worried about it. I mean, what risk can you tolerate? Sure. The other one is just assume the roof leaks somewhere. We yeah. learned all <laughs> that. We have of them. so many roof leaks, you can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah. You got to replace them all. Yeah. So we now go into the deal like, because if it's not leaking when you do do a diligence, it's because they patched it like a week before you came yeah. in. You're <laughs> allocating 50 to 100 yeah. grand just for the roof. The air conditioner is going to break and the yeah. roof's going to leak. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as kind of like a closing thought, Adam, let's just say it's your first acquisition and you haven't made all the mistakes that you guys have made. I hate to say yeah. it that way, but oh, yeah. and you haven't developed that list, that checklist that you go through. How would somebody, they've listened to this episode and they're like, okay, I've kind of a partial checklist here. I've kind of figured out some of the questions asked. How would they go about developing that checklist themselves before they make their first acquisition? Just email Adam. And yeah, right. No, <laughs> you're, you're sure. your spreadsheet. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Great. 100%. 
It's not uh, the secret sauce after no, all. No, I mean, <laughs> I got my thoughts, but how would they do yeah. something customized for themselves? I mean, customize it. That's tough. You got to have a starting point. I think get with people that have done it yeah, just before. Talk just okay. talk to people, right? Reach yeah. out. I mean, that's how we developed our list. Our absolutely. advisory board that had done acquisition said, think about this. Think okay. about this. Don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. And just think about it, right? What are the key factors that you look at in your current business that you want to keep it propelling forward each year? there be unique things on your checklist that's not on ours, right? Right, there of course. key things. That yeah. If you're AS9100 or ISO, you're going to be looking for specific things. That right. We, I'm going to be looking for like how many of their employees are fans of the Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, there you that's go. very important to me. Well, what are things Probably that I, not many. Are they Bears fans? Or not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That what, means they love misery. One of the things that I was going to suggest is walk around your own shop and yep. take notes. Is like take notes about how you do things and whether those will be leading questions into the due diligence that you have. And yep. really look at your shop in detail as you walk around, ask questions about how you do things. And those should probably be a part of your checklist. Yeah, you got to be self-aware. You got to know what you value the most, right? Because that's going to ultimately bring it into your culture and everything's going to marry up perfectly. So Great. Well, do you guys have any closing thoughts? I think this has been a really good episode to understand how to do due diligence and acquisition. We love talking about acquisition. So if anybody wants to carry the conversation on, look us up on LinkedIn and we'd love to chat with you. We always learn something talking to... to I think there's one more box to check here for the episode due diligence. We have to do the sign off. And I'm going to let you, you do it, man, because yeah. you're the guest host here. And right. we're not making sparks right now. We're making chips. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam.